it through the lens of a courtroom. And then last week's focal point was order in the court. And it was in, in Jesus and coming to fulfill the law, because that's what he brought. He brought order to the law and he brought love. And this week, as we look at anger, I'm calling it fines and restitution. The reason I chose that is because there's always a cost of some sort when anger is involved. You see, Christ draws this sharp contrast in, the, in Matthew chapter 5 um, between murder and anger and, and how what's in our hearts and what's in our minds is just as important as what our final actions are. Will you pray with me? Father God, as we, we open up this, this opportunity to look at your word today, specifically in, uh, through the lens of anger, I know it's something we all deal with some better than others. I pray, Lord, that as we look at your word, we won't sit and, and be idle, but we'll find ways to apply it to our lives. We'll find ways to be a better reflection of you. We'll find ways to, to be salt and light here on this earth. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Um, and, and just get that ready, because I think in order to really wrap our minds around this whole fines and restitution thing on anger, we need to expose anger for what it is. And so I was looking up, how, how can I best describe anger to you all? And I found this article from the Australian Psychology Society, and it was titled, What is Anger? And I think this article, at least this part of it that I want to share with you, is pretty accurate. And somebody spent a lot of money and a lot of time researching this. Um, it says, anger is an emotion that can range from mild annoyance to intense rage. It is a feeling that is accompanied by biological changes in your body. You see, when you get angry, your heart rate and your blood pressure rise and stress hormones are released. These things can cause you to shake. They can cause you to become hot and sweaty and just begin to feel out of control. When people have angry feelings, they often behave in angry ways. Angry behaviors include things like yelling, throwing things, criticizing. You wore that to church today? I just looked generally so y'all can decide <laughs> who I was speaking to. We criticize, we ignore, or maybe storming out, withdrawing into yourself, maybe just doing nothing. Why do we get angry? Anger is often associated with frustration when things don't always happen the way that we want because people don't always act or behave the way we think they should. Anger is usually linked with other negative emotions or is a response to them. You may be feeling hurt or frightened or disappointment or embarrassed or frustrated, but you may express these things, these feelings as anger. The study says anger can also result from a misunderstanding or a poor communication between people. Anybody ever been there before? Don't raise your hands. Men and women, often, but not always, and remember, this comes from the study. It's not me, ladies. Right? Men and women often but not always manage and express anger in different ways. If you've been married for any period of time, you realize that we express anger in different ways. With men, anger may be the primary emotion. Sometimes men, we believe that anger is the most legitimate emotion to express in a situation. We find it harder to express the feelings that are underneath, like hurt and sadness or grief. We can't express those things, so we just express anger for women the reverse sometimes is true the anger gets buried under tears anger is an indication of what's going on on the inside of us paul warns us 
He says, in your anger, do not sin. We often feel that our emotion gives us a license to act out. Some of us may even feel like venting is a good thing. We go off in a fit of rage. We then leave behind this little trail of destruction. Yeah, we feel momentarily better. But what about the people around us? I'll be honest with you. Anger is one of those areas that I struggle with. I always have since I was a little kid. I shared some of that with you before um, when we talked about words. I have no problem displaying my anger in outbursts. The sad thing is, when I get upset, I can't say my words right, and then it's just funny. (laughs) Somebody pulls out in front of me like, where'd you get your dumb paper to drive a car? I can't even come out with the word license. And then it's like, I try to get angry, and then something stupid comes out, and then it's not just, not even worth it anymore. But I know when that's happening, I know I'm sending my anger. I know also that because of sending in my anger, there are fines and there are restitutions for that. Something has to be paid. That's the thing about fines and restitutions. Uh, most of you all have probably never had a situation in your life where you had to pay fines or restitutions. I, I did at one point, and they were to the tune of almost $20,000. Apparently, when you're 17, you leave the scene of an accident in the state of Florida. That's a bad thing. <laughs> I made a mistake. She's making faces at me. <laughs> it, it happens. I paid fines and restitutions until I was 22 years old. It was crazy. Somebody has to cover that. That's the whole thing. Fines, restitution, it has to be paid. If they aren't paid, you'll pay with your time. I had an option. Well, Mr. Lancaster, you can go to jail. And by the way, you're 18 now. <laughs> or you can pay fines. I'll pay the fines, sir. <laughs> can I work them off? We'll work it out. And I paid fines. Think on that, on your anger, who's paying the fine, who's covering the restitution. Think that through today. Let's start off. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Verse 21 says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 23, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Today we're going to break these verses apart and just see how we can experience God through anger and not get caught up in the fines and restitution part, but be the ones who offer grace and restoration instead. Those first two verses on anger, verse 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you should not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Listen, folks, murder is just the last step of anger. It's, it's that when you take anger to its fullest form, it's that physical application of the anger that motivates it. In most cases, there's a progression for it. Nobody just wakes up one day and says, oh, look, the sun is shining. The birds are singing. It's a beautiful day. I think I'm going to go murder somebody. It doesn't happen like that. First comes the insult. 
or the supposed insult. Uh, I was, I'm doing a thing with kids at Butler High School, and we talked with them about the imaginary audience. Has anyone ever heard of the imaginary audience before? That's what, when you're going through your daily life, the imaginary audience are all the people that you think are watching you and that you think are judging you and that you think are paying so much attention to you that they can't live their own life. That's the imaginary audience. When you, when you walk and you trip a little bit and nobody's around, but you think everybody saw it, and you're like, oh, who saw that? Or you come across someone and you're trying to be suave and debonair and you're like, hey, how you doing? And, and you think that in your mind you're thinking, oh, they think I'm an idiot. And in their mind they're thinking, oh, I got to get that project done for work. It's like they're not even paying it. That's the imaginary audience. We think that everybody's honed in on us. And, and that's what happens here. That's, that's the first part of that progression. It comes this insult or this supposed insult. And when you look at what's happening in your world, listen, when you look through our news, Look through our papers, look on, on the internet, whether it's a school shooting or a fight at a family cookout or, or something that happens in a club, it makes the news and most of them come back to an insult. Well, we were all having a good time until they said Alabama was not the best football team and that, that was a true story. That was a real fight last year um, and, and it was two women that were related to each other and they both went to jail for fighting about Alabama because one didn't think the other one was a true enough fan. Security. Uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> supposed insult. It all comes back to that, that, that audience, that, that invisible audience. You know, we think it comes back to that, that insult, or worse yet, the supposed insult. We think what somebody may have said about us because of the way they looked at us. Well, they must be talking about me because they're, they're all laughing when I walked in the room. We missed the punchline to the world's best knock-knock joke. We just happened to walk in at the wrong time. And now none of these people can be my friend. The next step in that process is we, we take that insult and then we take offense to it. Or, or we have that perception that we've been cheated or that we've been hurt or that something's happened. And then all of this is followed by the anger. And the anger mixes with things like bitterness and hatred and, and fear. And this whole complex faction of all these dangerous emotions start brewing up. And when the heart is good and toxic, these things come out and they lead to murder. And it all starts with anger. And here's the thing, with this audience that Jesus is talking to, these Pharisees that are there, they would certainly agree with Jesus that murder is wrong. Matter of fact, even to this point, they can, they can boast of having never killed anyone. But Jesus wants his disciples that are listening as well and us to be able to claim even more than that. He wants us to be able to say that we've never been angry enough to want to kill someone. So he gets right into this issue of anger. He's telling us, yeah, don't murder. But more than that, Jesus is telling us that anger is the gateway to murder. If you find yourself getting easily angered, chances are you're going to do something really stupid eventually. Then he goes on. He's got our attention with this whole murder equals anger and anger equals murder. He's got our attention with this. And he goes on to verse 22 and he says this. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, the word here that's used for fool is actually racha. It's a great word. Except that what it means, it's an Aramaic term for contempt. It's really a very less than average word. So when you holler to somebody, you fool, racha, it's ugly. And Jesus forbids that kind of language. He says, don't, don't address people like that. Well, why does he forbid it? I mean, we call each other names all the time. 
Guys see each other, hey, you big, dopey, sloppy thing, where you been all week, you know? And girls are like, oh, I love that outfit, you know? Y'all greet each other differently than we do. I don't know what's wrong with you, all right? But we do that kind of stuff. We address, we just, this, this goofiness just comes out of us when we all get together. But he says here, he says, he forbids it. The reality is, what he wants us to get is that when we get to this point where we're actually using that raka, that, that term for contentment, whatever your word is, that term for contentment, we're actually lowering someone's self-esteem or we're causing them to lose face in the eyes of other people. You know? It's one thing to goof off with your buddy. It's another thing to call somebody out in front of a whole group of people so that they purposely feel less than who they are. This word raka, it sounds kind of funny, but... This contempt that he talks about, it's kind of a soul murder, if you will. You see, we, we allow our anger sometimes to just kill off any relationship that we may have with somebody when we start crossing those lines. There's an old saying um, about people who, who typically have issues with anger, and it says, he is very even-tempered. He's a very even-tempered person. He's always angry. So he just never, <laughs> never changes. It sounds funny, but this type of person is their own worst enemy. When we're, when we're always angry, we're just gradually committing suicide by making life-sustaining relationships impossible. Anger is a dangerous game, but I want to make sure that you understand something. There's a huge difference between anger and annoyance. And for the sake of clarification, I want to share this illustration with you. A young girl was writing a paper for school, and she came home to her father, and she said, Dad, what's the difference between anger and annoyance? And the father said, it's mostly a matter of degree. Let me show you what I mean. So with that, he picked up the telephone, and just for sake of this illustration, this was before caller ID and star 69 and all that good stuff. So he picks up the phone, and he dials a phone number randomly. And when the man on the other end answers the telephone, he said, Hello, is Melvin there? The man answered. He said, No, there's no one living here named Melvin. Why don't you learn to look up numbers before you dial? Click, hangs up. The father says, See, that man was a bit unhappy with our call. He was probably doing something. He was busy doing something around the house, and, and we annoyed him a little bit. Now watch this. The father dials the same number. <laughs> the man answers the phone. Hello! He says, is Melvin there? And the man said, now look here. You, you just called this number. I told you there's no one named Melvin that lives here. You've got a lot of nerve calling me again. Slams the phone down. The father turned to his daughter and said, now you see, that was anger. But I want to show you what really what annoyance really is. So he dials the same number. And when the man answers the phone, he's all frustrated. Hello. And the father says very calmly and with a different voice. This is Melvin. Have there been any calls for me? (laughs) So you see the difference between anger and annoyance. And it's good. We need to know that. I find it interesting that just after Jesus goes through the blessings of the Beatitudes, when he talks about Blessed are those who mourn, all these things. And he goes through the blessings of the Beatitudes. He follows them with a series of warnings. And we're really going to get into those warnings in the next couple of weeks. But that first warning is, is about anger. He kicks it off with this warning about anger. And then he doesn't stop with the thought that anger leads to murder or that anger is the beginning of contempt for others. He calls us out. In verse 23, Jesus calls us out. He says, hey, by the way, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there... Remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. 
Brothers and sisters, you cannot be on good terms with God when you are on bad terms with your brothers and sisters or anyone else in your life for that matter. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 and through 21. I'll read this out to you. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Christians, we cannot in good conscience offer anything good to God who cares so much more. He cares just as much about our personal life and our personal life relationships as he does as the relationship that we should desire to have with him. So first we need to heal whatever is between us and someone else and return to worship. I don't know how you came here today. I don't know what's happening in your lives as individuals, but I I pray that this week you will take the opportunity to heal whatever you may need to heal with someone, whether it's something they have against you or something you have against them. I pray you take that opportunity because right now Jesus is getting real deep on this stuff. He's really getting in to the fines and the restitution part of it. He goes from anger leads to murder to raka to solving conflict with your brothers before giving your gift. And then in verse 25, he says, oh, by the way, come to terms quickly. Don't let it linger. If there's a judgment against you, if there's something against you, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with them to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Folks, it's pretty simple here. Jesus says that lawsuits are to be avoided, especially between, between Christians. After all, if we're living what he says for us to do, why should anyone need to sue us anyways? If you're listening to what Jesus is saying here, then you will bear no ill will to anyone. Christians, hear this. We cannot enter into bitter litigation with somebody without it taking a toll on your attitude, on your spiritual well-being. If you have refused to do everything possible to be reconciled to your brother before court proceedings begin, remember this warning Christ gives. He says, you who refuse to extend grace cannot now expect anything less than the full weight of the law to fall on you. That's heavy. But do you see this transition? Do you see what happened here? Right here, this is where love and law are coming together, where they're meeting. We are to extend grace to others. And if we don't, how can we expect anything less then the full fine and restitution be paid when it's our turn. There's a subtleness about what's happening here in these verses in, John, in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is not talking just about the physical world. He's giving them glimpses. He's, he's already said, I have come to fulfill the law. And here he's letting us know that the full extent of the law is. You who, who earlier showed contempt to your brother in anger, who offered in insults when you said, you fool. Those of you who have not offered grace when it's needed, whether it was a matter of money or a matter of restoring a friendship, it doesn't matter. If we're doing that, you have indeed invited the consequences of hell itself into your life. Anger is a most serious offense to our God of righteousness. You know, I called this message fines and restitution because we have two choices when it comes to how we deal with anger in our lives and whether we choose to harbor it or not. We can let it go. Nobody break into song. And we can seek out, we can let it go, we can seek out restoration and, and the building, the rebuilding of a relationship with someone, and we can honor God in the process, or we can harbor anger. We can grow those, those murderous thoughts in our heart and in our mind and allow 
contempt to take over. And at that point, we're basically saying and living out in our lives that we know better than God how to handle a situation. See, that's what happens when we refuse to, to, to seek out restoration. We cast judgment on people and we don't even realize it. And his fines, God's fines and his restitution for an unrepentant heart are far more lasting than the temporary discomfort that we may have in working through anger with someone. But if we can follow what he has set out for us, we will experience God through anger. And that is way better than experiencing him through the fines and the restitutions of eternity. As we come into our response time today, I know that at some point in our lives, we have all missed experiencing God through anger, and we went straight for the jugular, so to speak, because of our rights and because of what, what our pride says we have that we should be allowed to have or do or to defend. I want to encourage you today to clean that up. If you need to repent, if there's an issue that's in your life right now, as we have this response time, go out in the hallway and call that person or send a text or do whatever you have to do to begin to restore that relationship. If you need to repent, make that happen. Pray about it. Make a phone call. Send a text. And just say, I'm sorry, let's work this out. Just like the two girls from the skit. Hey, I don't want to be here between you. And by the way, they're really good friends. They're not angry at each other anymore. They, <laughs> they hugged. But that's, that's the thing. You, you can still work through these things. The, the days for harboring bitterness or anger at other people are behind us. They have to be. Folks, we can never be the church that Christ desires for us to be if we are harboring anger at other people while we come in to worship him. It's not going to work. Maybe for you, the first step is to submit to Christ in baptism. Maybe it's time for you to come forward and rededicate yourself to him. Folks, the elders are here. If you need to pray about something, we've got a room set up. You can go and talk and pray with them in private. But whatever your response is today to what you've heard, respond in love and humility because it's time for us to put anger aside. I love this picture that we had painted up here because this is what happens with our hearts. They look normal on the outside, but on the inside, there's this little black heart. And, and it's that little black heart that's, that that's where the anger is. That's where the resentment is. That's where whatever's going on in you, whatever you think has happened to you, and it starts small, and then it cries out, these shadows. But soon it takes over. We need to live in a way that shows we understand where love and law meet, and our actions and our lifestyle need to reflect that. And, and when we do those things, when, when we repent, when we're baptized, when we seek accountability in our lives for the things that tie us down or cause other people to stumble... Jesus takes care of the fines and the restitution for us. Amen. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us and respond to him? It's been great to worship with you all today, but now it's time for us to go. I know I kind of took a lighthearted approach at anger with that story about the little girl and her dad, but anger is a real issue that we all deal with. The consequences of it can be devastating. <laughs> There's a story from 1985 in National Geographic. It had an article, and it talked about a national park ranger in British Columbia who has two sets of huge antlers that are on his wall. They're as wide as a man's reach, and they're locked together. Evidently, two bull moose began fighting, and their antlers, much like that, they began fighting, and their antlers locked up, and they couldn't get free, and they died due to anger. 
You think, well, they're just dumb animals. It was territory or it was this or it was that. You can walk past each other or you can lock horns. They locked up and they died due to anger. As you go this week, don't get caught up in anger. Don't get locked up in it because you will find that one day you can't get out. And that's bad news. Remember where love and law meet and be that reflection. Have a great week.